Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Otter Fishing with me, Trevor Topfer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Otter Fishing. Uh, we had a, a break recently with Easter and things, so it's nice to be back. I've got an amazing guest. I'm absolutely fucking pumped having our guest on the show today because he's got a, a wealth of experience across not only some mainstream and high-end luxury brands, but also working with small businesses. So I'm sure our guest today is going to drop uh, some, some great uh, advice for all of you small businesses out there. Uh, before we get into that, uh, this podcast is brought to you by Otterfish. So if you do run paid social ads or Facebook ads, you should really check out Otterfish. Uh, it makes it possible for anyone to run smarter ads and it's free to go. So jump on otterfish.com and check it out. So uh, without further ado, bringing in to the show today uh, the current National Marketing Manager for Jaguar Land Rover and all-round legend, Mr. Luke Murant. Welcome to the show, mate. Thanks for joining us. G'day, mate. How you doing? Thanks for having me. No worries. Is that a big enough kind of intro? We don't have, uh, you know, any kind of... Well, got... That's really... That would have only been the other thing I would have added, but no, that's no problem at all. I'm thrilled with it. That's right. Thank Pyrotechnics you. is an interesting one. How would that translate to an audio medium? Do you think we just we could just have uh, the, the audio sounds of? Stills. I would have thought a stadium cheer or something like that, mate. Would, would be uh... stills would be fine. Just the name of the business, the lights, and being cold. So, um, mate, you you uh, before we get into what I know is going to be a lot of fun, uh, do you want to just give a little bit of a framework around you know who you are uh, for people who you know. The, my mum who's listening uh who probably doesn't know who you are just a quick um yeah. summary for us yeah so um i'm i'm i guess my, my background or my more recent background's been um in, in marketing roles um and some marketing leadership roles and, and some of the, the bigger brands well certainly the appeal uh for me has been the bigger brands around the world so it's been a bit of time at samsung um mm-hmm. you know i started my career at telecom spark back in the day which was an amazing place to, to earn your stripes a little bit uh, more recently, it's been the last sort of five years at Jaguar Land Rover New Zealand, which has been an incredible, incredible journey, especially being in automotive for the first time. Um, so much to learn in there, but the Jaguar Land Rover New Zealand's been going from strength to strength, as most people will know. Um, certainly, the competitors will point out. Uh, so we've had a, we've had a really good run in the last five years, and um, and more recently, I've been doing a little bit of um, consultancy work as well, which I've, I've really, really enjoyed um, with a lot of smaller businesses. I think for me, it's um, you might think that uh, sort of that, that working and being involved with some smaller businesses is, is good for grounding, but it's it's probably where you learn a lot of lessons. Um, obviously, there's, there's lessons, and people always talk about this, lessons that some of the bigger brands can learn from the smaller ones and the smaller mm-hmm. ones can learn from the bigger ones. So for me, it's been a really epic opportunity to, to go through that process and, and, and see how that really plays out in real time, if you like, seeing how yeah, some yeah. smaller brands or smaller marketing engines um, do their marketing or view marketing um, and how they view different elements of marketing and and obviously at the same time you know getting very very deeply deeply involved in Jaguar Land Rover world because that is my bread and butter. Yeah right. Um, so what what are you seeing um, is is the major difference? Uh, is it is it really just tech and infrastructure that's the major difference? Or you know you talk about. I see smaller brands with smaller budgets, small businesses putting out really, really clever, really well-structured kind of marketing journeys for customers. And, and they're as good as in terms of, of marketing quality as, as any of the, the bigger brands with those bigger budgets. So, you know, what do you see as the main sorts of differences in that playing field, I guess? Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, I, I remember seeing, um, it must have been 2010 or 2009, you know, small, like small New Zealand brown brands like Superate doing some th- amazing things with online retail, mm-hmm. uh, doing some amazing things with digital, and, and seeing those and going, holy crap! How do they keep ahead of this so well? And how do they know? And how do they how how are they informed? You know, when you're in those 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 larger marketing roles and you've got a hell of a lot more resources, there's constantly people feeding in opportunities to your ideas of mm-hmm. whether it's digital, whether it's retail, whatever it might be, that you're constantly impeded with ideas. And so I always look at those guys. And, and Super was a one in particular that, that was on my radar early. So you saw their growth over that period of time and, and saw yeah. what they were doing. Um, it just it just it baffled me by how, how they could get so so strong in certain areas. Mm-hmm. And I think looking in both worlds, what it what it starts to become really obvious is one, the people who are running the show at places like Super 
incredibly talented and, and incredibly hardworking, but also really focused. So, you know, they, they only have so much bandwidth to prioritise what they're up to and what they're doing at any particular time that they're always going to do a, a really good job on a, in a sort of a narrow, Very niche. A narrow set totally. And, and because they prioritise that, so we're going to be really good at that. They can focus on that and that thing only. Um, but also, you know, it goes back to the sort of startup mentality of fast fail. They can jump into something if it works or it doesn't work for them. They know pretty quickly. If it doesn't, they get out and do something else. And, and people like that started doing some really great things. So they focused on those things that were working and dialed them up as they needed to. Mm. Um, I think it's like we always say, those those bigger brands can learn agility from some of those smaller brands, right? We always say we're so agile and the rest of it. And yep, that is sort of an ongoing lesson, right? These guys focus on very specific things, get really focused on them in terms of what they're going to deliver and how they're delivering, can them if they're not, and, and, and rework them if they are. So I think a big thing for, for, for me is looking at those, one of the big things is looking at those small organizations and seeing how agile they are and seeing how focused they can, they can be on particular elements to get those right before they go any further. Yeah, right. Um, well, I think, to be honest, the, the, the biggest thing I've noticed in, in smaller smaller areas or smaller brands or smaller marketing functions is just how they define marketing. You know, that can be a, as broad or as narrow as they want it to go. And I think um, smart organizations are now starting to tap into their, their marketing teams more and more. We might have seen over the last sort of three or four years um, that we go from you know, chief marketing officers, officers to chief customer officers mm-hmm. because they're starting to see that their marketers can represent more than the the promotion P of the four P's and, and start saying, okay, this is the person responsible for the full customer journey. They understand and have access to deeper insights of our customers. So, um, so that proliferation of that customer experience managers and head of customer experience oh, yeah. or those, totally. are, you know, becoming their own individual uh, focus within a business, not just part of the marketing mix, you know? Yeah, that's right. That's right. We, I think we, we see, it's the one big thing I've really learned from, um, spending time just even talking to, to smaller marketing functions is just how well the good ones um, dial up their definition of, of marketing and, and really broaden that out to something much bigger um, than just you know just promotional elements Add or just stuff, pricing yeah. yeah it's pretty yeah. sharp um, I think uh, one of the things that COVID has kind of accelerated internally within a lot of organizations and certainly within that software space where tools are being developed and built out is that idea of uh, automating as much of that sort of customer journey stuff that the, that, that, that makes up this piece, right? And, and, and starting to lean more heavily into the, the tech element. Have you noticed that? Like I, I've seen uh, the emergence of things like... Um, CDPs, you know, and these big data kind of aggregation tools that are that are feeding these things. Like, have you noticed that in say the, the Jaguar Land Rover space, that's been a, a big growth, a big change? Yeah, I, I think especially the um, the the purchase and post purchase parts of the of the customer journey have started to be really, really um, a, a big focus for brands and organisations like ours is how we really focus on on those parts of the customer journey, how we make sure they're more digitised than ever before. Um, you know, I think we're all a little bit surprised no matter what brands we interact with, what part goes from digital to, to analog, if you like. Mm-hmm. And so I, th- I think what we're, what, what we're sort of seeing putting pressure on ourselves to do more so is just make that a far more fluid process for our, for our customers. So it goes from digital to digital, not digital to analog. Um, mm-hmm. and, then that, and then post-purchase, there's, a, there's a, a, a reworking of then how we communicate ongoing and how we make sense of those communications to our customers to then foster that, you know, to support the enjoyment phase of the customer journey, then back into to repurchase process. Because it does become, you know, it does become really hands-on, um, does become a little bit analog. Um, but there's also there's also a need to sort of consider that path, right? Because we do have particular industries and, and you know, luxury goods might be one of those industries where that one-to-one in-person conversation and context can be really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, considering with considering just how considered the product purchase is, and how how valuable the the relationship is with the dealer or the or the retail sales team or an account manager, depending on the industry. So, yes, the the, the desire and, and, and pressure we put ourselves to become more digitized and have a more seamless communication framework that pushes people back into that repurchase is really important. Um, but at the same time, there's going to be elements of that where there is a preference to be to be more more hands on and continue to be hands on um, wherever wherever the customer chooses. So allowing that customer flexibility and 
and how they have those conversations and what those conversations look like are really really important too. Yeah, um, couldn't agree more. Um, a real uh, shift to nurturing that whole customer journey, I, I think, is a, is a big one, right? Um, especially when things narrow and competition becomes uh, more intense, you've got to make the, the, the most out of that customer lifetime value. That sort of becomes, in my mind, that metric that is really, really important. And that should drive, you know, where does marketing play? I, I have this expression, wherever the rubber touches the road, right? So wherever you kind of interface with a customer, marketing should be part of that conversation. Maybe not driving it, maybe not in the hot seat, but certainly a part of the conversation and looking at how do we build community almost from our our customers and and, and establish that. Is that something that you're seeing on the radar, this, this concept of community and how to keep them engaged? And yeah, absolutely, yeah. I, th I think what we're what most businesses do, we go through that process of saying, how do we how do we hold on to customers and nurture them through to repurchase? Um, they're, they're, they're looking at the marketing team and saying, well, the smart ones at least looking at the marketing team and saying, what data do we currently have? What, what sort of research facilities do we have to put data into these conversations? And they're realizing pretty quickly that marketing has this data. Um, they put a lot of energy into the front end to get a customer through a purchase funnel to, to, to use that antiquated um, mm -hmm. uh, mechanism, but it's, it's, I mean, it's still value in, in having those conversations and using funnel um, analogies. Um, but they, they start to realize that those, those marketers have a wealth of it, a wealth of information, a wealth of research to support mm -hmm. what the customers are, who they are, and to either inject that into the, into the back end of the process and to, to, to nurture repurchase, or slightly tweak the current approaches to, to, to um, extracting that data and, and their research programs um, to, to, to feed into that part of the, to the loyalty loop as well. Mm -hmm. So um, on the flip side of that, you talk about the analog, right? So the digital side, I think, um, you know, we talk a lot about that and the, the concept of being able to, to take a lot of that and, and personalize it even through things, new tools that are coming out where more and more people are embracing apps and things like that to kind of deepen their digital relationship. Yeah. How important is the analog side now? You mentioned that quite a bit, and I think there's a, something in that for small businesses, especially if they're, if they're more localized. So what sort of, um, when you look at the, the, I guess, the customer base of, of a Jaguar Land Rover, how important is that local um, presence and how, many, how much of your customers are in the, uh, you know, a, a sort of local... Yeah. I think, I think like, do you remember when we, we first started talking about, I'm old enough to remember we start, start, first started talking about e-commerce and how it was going to revolu revolutionise a, a lot of different businesses. And I remember hearing, you know, that the used car yard or the car yards are going to go. It's, it's going to be something that gets, that's on the block immediately. People are going to purchase automotive online. That's going to be the one that you'll focus on mm -hmm. also because this experience with, with um Use car salesmen and all that sort or, of stuff. Or, yeah, people who sell vehicles for a living is a really bad experience, but clearly it's absolutely not. Um, it couldn't be further from the truth. Um, and going into those environments and spending more time over the last five years, um, it just, just shows how deep those relationships that the that retailers have with their customer base and how critical they are. And also how bloody good um, those retail environments are at looking after their customers. You realise that, you know, people on the outside looking in at that time, we said, you know, Retail and, and automotive revolutionised, you know, within a couple of years, were hideously wrong because they didn't have a really good look at it. So I think what's important for real businesses to really understand, um, yep, digitising the customer journey is is really important for a lot of reasons um, in terms of the, the, the consistent communication process, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, but those one-on-one -on -one conversations and those those one-to-one analog experiences for customers are are also bloody important to have. Um, you know, I see in, in one of the um, businesses that I that I have consulted to in the past. Um, you know, they talk about they talk a lot about getting their digital footprint back up and running, their their leads generation process, leads nurture process, and conversion. Get that digital bit right, but um, it's the kind of business that really thrives on those one to one contacts. Mm -hmm. So we 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 have started to see that those two things operating in the same time or in the same space is really really important. Um, and to throw away one or throw away the other wouldn't be the right thing to do. Um, so what they've really understood to understand is, you know, that, that leads referral process doesn't come from a whole lot of digital activity market alone as a marketing focus, but, mm -hmm. it, but it also requires a hell of a lot of one-on-one -on -one time, feet on the ground, conversations over coffees, meetings, presentations, and those sort of more analog environments are absolutely still critical. 
so yeah, I mean, not to not to discount the idea that the, the customer journey and digitizing that process is, is essential, because it still absolutely is. For for if, any, if, if for nothing else, it's about making sure there's a clean and, and consistent communication. But at the same time, there's so many environments where the analog conversation is, is just so so critical. Yeah. Um... What about things like events and stuff like that? Do you guys still do the the you know the track days? And I you know I I, I can't afford a Jaguar or a Land Rover as much as I'd absolutely fucking love to be able to. Uh, that's not yet in my sphere. Um, who knows what the future holds there? But I always have this kind of impression that you know you buy a, a brand new Land Rover or a brand new Jag, and you know you get these sorts of you're in the club almost with that dealership or with that brand marquee in some way, and there's perks and benefits like. How significant is that in that nurture process and what sort of stuff are you still doing and has that been impacted by COVID and all that sort of shit? Oh, yeah. Um, a nightmare in terms of the impact of COVID, right, um, for, for a lot of reasons. You know, um, you know the, the basics, not going to have those face-to-face conversations and those, you know, or, or to be able to set up a situation where the retailers who have a relationship with the customer can have face-to-face conversations at a, a, a location outside of dealership, more relaxed environment where... You're purely there to enjoy the product. I mean, that, that not being able to do that's been really, really tough because it is experiential is a really big part of it. Um, also, you know, the stock, the variability of stock is, you know, hammered pretty much every supply chain in the world, um, and just not having really clear, um, uh, clear, clear ideas of, of how stocks coming and going. And obviously, you know, always prioritizing customers' vehicles over. Over marketing vehicles is really, really important. You can't let marketing get in the way of sales. There's <laughs> <laughs> nothing worse. Um, so that's been really, really difficult. But it is a really important part of the kind of product, um, the product we set. And we've had conversations in the past where I've always been surprised by just how critical uh, the product is in terms of what the brand stands for at any, any particular time. And the automotive world, if you've got a fantastic range of product coming in, your, your brand's going really well. Um, and your brand um, on the other side of that suffers terribly when your your product is um, isn't um, up to the same standards as it has been in past years. So what we need to do is make sure we provide those experiential opportunities to get people in the in the vehicles. Ideally, one of ours and not theirs. Ideally, a newer vehicle for them to consider on that drive and, and make them enjoy and advocate for the product itself. So you know, further down the track, they can they can become you know not just not just customers but fans of our of our brand. And I think. That's that's a really big part of what we need to be doing. So the last two years, it's been it's been difficult without that, mm-hmm. um, but it is absolutely an essential part of what we do. Um, especially if you're thinking about um, um, retaining customers and, and nurturing through repurchase. Without that, it's it's particularly difficult. I think that's sort of the overarching principle, though, um, which it always kind of comes back to is um, brands like us. Products important, but we're not just selling products. We're not selling. We're not selling vehicles, and I think that's that's very clear. If we're in the in the transport of a vehicle market, um, <laughs> no one would buy a Range Rover, uh, everyone would buy a Toyota, you know, because yeah. the, the numbers wouldn't stack well, up. Well, everybody does. Like if you look at that market, right? It's it's uh, well, it's now probably electric vehicles for the most part, right? Um, yeah, I mean, people people are buying the cars like our, you know, Jaguar Land Rover vehicles um, because of the brand. Um, mm-hmm. But then the question comes: How do you how do you brand it up more how do you make it a, a brand experience you know if you're if you're not trading on automotive and you're trading on brand um and the, and the experience then how do you dial that up and our answer and i think you find a lot of automotive brands and it has been for a long time is creating those customer experiences through the likes of um uh, experiential uh, for current customers rewarding them with, with really great experiences that speak to the brand specifically and inject a whole lot of brand stuck into the into the activity um mm-hmm. which helps and become fans, go on to, to enjoy the enjoy the vehicle more, become become advocates for the brand, and then sort of repurchase without going through a full acquisition phase. So it's a big one for us, you know, um, getting back online now with experiential. Um, we're, re- we're really lucky we've we served incredibly well um, from an experiential perspective where we are because we're part of the Bill Track Group and we've got the likes of Downforce to, to provide amazing experiential opportunities. So so we're lucky and we're kind of ready to go with that, but it's just about finding time to switch that back on it becomes a really big focus for for our brands. So, uh, to be honest, I think it stacks up for a lot of brands, right? They look at it and go, how do we, you know, we're not trading on just just the product, the, the core product, we're trading on the brand. So how do we find those brand bits to, to inject back into the customer's experience of being a customer of our particular product set? Um, 
to make it more enjoyable and to, to make an advocate for it in the future. Yeah, I think um, you've touched on something that, that often go, gets a little bit overlooked, I think, in that small business level where you're in the trenches and you're in that day-to-day trading. But this concept that we're saturated for choice now, like I can find a piece of transport that's probably a, a smarter and, and better opportunity for me than a Land Rover. Yeah. But if I build meaning and I and I tap into the, the why or the, the purpose or the brand or, 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 yeah. or, or I have some kind of a... Um, conversation around that or some framework around that in my business that's that they're the ones that really kind of settle in and 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 take off right that that's that relationship and that meaning takes price and does it have the best this and does it have fucking bluetooth and how many speakers are in the fucking stereo system and all those sorts of conversations just go out the window because i've i've invested in the goal or the mission or the purpose of of this of this business um you know and, and right now, I feel like that's so super, super crucial for small businesses, especially given the current conversations around, you know, geopolitical, environmental issues that are that are everywhere, health issues that are everywhere. I think now more than ever, people are really, really uh, focused on and understanding better the fact that they are or their purchase drives what they get in, into the market. I, I, I think there's there's a bit more education around that, and brand suddenly is becoming much more a part of the conversation. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think there's, there's that real, like you mentioned, there's a big resurgence or surgence <laughs> of the, the why. Everyone's saying, you know, um, a lot of brands, especially small brands, are talking about their our why, you know, our, yeah. our reason for being, our purpose. I think um, Simon Snake sold a whole lot of books. Um, but, I'm, but it's good. It's, <laughs> it's good that people are, are using that um, to an extent. Using that that, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because what they're, what they're really doing is saying, what is our value proposition, right? And what do we stand for? And how do we make yeah. sure that... Why do we exist? Yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. And it's it's coming to the, the whole idea of understanding your, your value prop and, and, and putting out something that is um, that's valuable, um, that can't be replicated easy, easy that is unique, that and is, is um, something the market wants. So I think I think what's really good about that is smaller brands, when they start talking about their why, start questioning decisions they make and whether or not they're consistent with the value proposition they, they are putting in place. Totally. Um, and I'm seeing the, the really smart ones, they they are going out to, you know, new customers to say, you know, why did you sign up? Um, why did you become a customer of ours? So what is, what is, what is that? Well, how did you get here? But also to the ones who don't sign up and say, you know, why aren't you signing up to be a customer of ours? Like what, what's gone wrong in that process? And I think, um, the ones that are, that are sticking to their guns because they understand their why, therefore understand their value proposition, um, they're seeing customers come back and say, they don't say these words, but they say, well, the value proposition and X, Y, and Z isn't, isn't consistent with what I wanted from my service provider for this particular service or product. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ones that are sticking to their guns are saying, okay, it's, that's fine. It's, you're going to miss out on those opportunities because that's not our value proposition and we're not going to change to meet, to meet that. And the ones that are, again, sticking to their guns and they're really happy is seeing customers sign up on the principle of what that what their why actually is, what their profit is, and actually going through that process of researching the missed opportunities and the one opportunities and understanding if they're signing up because it's consistent with that value prop or inconsistent or, or, or not signing up because they didn't want that value they're offering, um, it puts them in good shape. So, yeah, we, I think we get pretty cynical about that. The why, anyone talking about the why and getting really excited yeah. about that, but at the same time, there's yeah, some really everything you know um and there's really good principles being delivered right you know it's 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 much easier it's this natural evolution right we've got a very real and ever-present um climate situation that commerce contributes to in a massive way so it's it's very hard to be in business and not be thinking about this shit and be going you know what's my impact you know how significant is it and are there ways that i can make some easy and no-brain choices just to Maybe tidy things up a little bit and uh, and 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 you know make an impact and and I think it's a great the the outcome is great but I, I really feel like for small businesses the, the couple of key ones that we've talked about so far for me were uh, the fact that you go niche you know um, and then you take your value prop to that niche and you focus there and you get that right you find the right audience and the right channel and all of that sort of stuff and uh, and then. Like Supret's a great example. They, they scale quickly. I remember there was a brand in Australia and I, when I was living over there called Gypsy and the Spell, Spell and the Gypsy, something or other. Anyway, yeah. uh, and they're a clothing brand that sort of landed on that whole Instagram uh, initial 
you know, explosion of Instagram that happened not not long after it, it launched, and they really tapped into this um, identity as a brand, and they sort of almost became the, the the spokesperson. And if you identified as 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 the sort of person who associates in that in in that or has that part of them, then you had to have some part of this clothing, right? Otherwise, you weren't authentic, you know. And it was just brilliant the way this little business just blew up um, because they figured that out. Uh, yeah. And going a bit in a totally weird and different direction, but I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts. So deeper digital experiences is kind of the undertones of the whole Web3 conversation, you know. So this uh, Web3 concept that we're able to now have much deeper digital uh, experiences between each other. Uh, is this something that's yet reached the conversation? Um, is this the sort of thing that would be driven by brands? So, you know, in the UK or wherever brand lives uh, to, to country? Is it something that Giltrap is, is, is thinking about? What, what is the metaverse web three kind of conversation that you're, yeah, that you guys yeah. are having? A bit, a bit, like a I bit bought an NFT and I've made a thousand bucks. That's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> a, a, bit, a bit happened quickly, right? I think um, what there, there is something for us in particular that will be driven largely, fortunately or unfortunately, um, by our global teams um, before it lands here. Um, to create those kind of experiences and making sure they're in an environment where people are comfortable going into. I think it's there's a lot of work for them to do before the, the, the guidance is set on what we can activate locally. It's not as straightforward as um, ch changing some some copy or a headline on a billboard. That's quite it's quite a bit more involved in that. So I think I think there's things going to have to happen pretty quickly. I mean, we we have a, a customer base who's for our particular two brands, anyway, there's a there's a customer base where it's um, we probably do um, we do have more time to get into. You might be proven wrong over time, but we probably do have more time with that particular customer base before we really have to jump in that, that space oops and all. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's only a matter of time before one of the, the luxury or premium automotive brands makes a really big statement in that area. Everyone just turns around and goes, "Shit, how did they do that so quickly?" Yeah, and and, you know, and, and, and it always looks. Time. You know, very, yeah. very, very, very different, right? Well, one thing we talk about brands um, with with automotive and how it delivers brand, but a big part of um, automotive is remaining um, remaining modern. I think it's it's a particularly important one for the likes of Land Rover and Jaguar, where there's so much history, um, mm -hmm. especially in, in a local market context. You know, re remaining modern um, almost by default means you have to play play out in some some more advanced technology areas. And so it's going to be really important for you know all the premium automotives. Um, are you seeing any signals in the market? Are you, are you seeing anything, any whispers, any any activity that you're aware of? I mean, obviously, the uh, digital art space is exploding. Uh, music is starting to enter that space pretty significantly. Um, you know, uh, gaming is obviously going to be, I don't know, accelerated. Uh, there'll be a lot more games you can play because suddenly everybody's going to have a fucking VR headset and be looking for yeah. content that they can consume through a VR headset. So all of that space is blowing up. But I start thinking about the utility that's coming through in some of these blockchain technologies and some of the, um, you know, something like smart contracts to me and Web3 uh, digital experiences where, you know, if I have a Jaguar Land Rover NFT in my wallet and I connect it to the, the website, then the website knows who I am and what level of kind of customer I am and can prov provide me with unique access to whatever that looks like. So I, I really feel like that 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 is what where I'm expecting it to play out first anyway, is that somebody will do uh, some kind of uh, NFT in the way that Adidas and those guys are, are throwing their shit around at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think we'll see we'll see a move by one of the one of the big automotive brands that takes everyone by surprise a little bit. Like like, like you said, there's basic things like VR headsets. We've been doing that for sort of five or six years. Um, you know, six years ago, you'd go into a retailer, uh, they put a headset on you, and you could see a car that wasn't there yet, but it was on its way. You know, um, that, it wasn't it wasn't a massively strong option for for our, our particular customer set. You know, the, the part of the experience for the products that we sell are, is a little bit more than seeing them. It's it's um it's a full sensory experience. You know, you want to sit in something that's comfort. You want, you want to, to drive the bloody thing, man. And, and totally, totally. Even, even the even the smell. You know, we talk to people who are who spent time and um talk to someone. I'm not going to name them. Be embarrassed, but who worked <laughs> for Ford for a number of years, and um he got into one of our cars and sat and he goes, it just even smells better. 
And, and, and that's not by accident, you know, like that's, that's, that's not just a weird coincidence that it does, you know, it's a, yeah. an entire sensory experience. And, you know, if you don't believe me, go to the dealership and sit in one and, and you'll see what I mean. Three straight away, like everything is, is, is intentional, right? So I think there are, there are going to be limitations for, for that part of our, our business and the digital experience we can offer. And, you know, we saw that a little bit when we did, did have um, VR experiences for, for customers pre-purchasing. Um, and also they had to inspire the purchase process. Not being able to drive that car was, was, was limiting. Um, but at the same time, I mean, you look in, in other areas, right? So, um, you know, gaming, a big part of gaming is automotive, or a big part of automotive is gaming, mm-hmm. which is watching out one or the other. Um, which leads to the metaverse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, think I, just, I don't think I just understood the metaverse. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, it out. Yeah. This is but a simulation. <laughs> Yeah. And you're doing fine. Yeah. But there's a there's a there's a role to play there, right? Because um, you know, seeing Jaguar start to turn up and a lot more of the of of, um, of the options within gaming environments is, is really exciting for us. And I think we're already there almost by default, but there's probably a way to, to push ourselves in there a bit harder, which is exciting. Yeah, yeah. I um I think it's gonna be huge because it's gonna take a little while, but in the same way we all have iPhones in our pockets, we're all going to have a VR headset or two or three or whatever at home. And, and and I think that's when it actually becomes a thing, right? Like if you still have to go somewhere to experience VR, it's a, you're a tourist, you know, uh, if uh, you've got a set, you're in the minority. Like I know a handful of people uh, and I'm probably pretty close to the people who would be into all of this. And I only know a handful of people that have them. So yeah, I think you're right. There's, there's, there's time to play it out. And I guess, you know, if you are a Jaguar or Land Rover and you've got to think about, uh, you know, what is your play, you, you kind of want to see a few hits and misses on the board, I reckon, before you sort of yeah. lay down your chips, right? Because it's not going to be a small play, like you say. It's, it's got to be something that completely disrupts the Land Rover brand experience in, in, in yeah. some way. I remember, I remember when, even when we're getting into, again, I'm showing my age here, but even when we're getting into um, digital marketing via social for the first time and we saw brands just giving it a crack back then. It was pretty cool because brands were trying stuff, failing, and it was okay. Um, over ASB, I've always been impressed by ASB. Um, you know, having virtual tellers through Facebook and, and really pushing the boundaries of the technology. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I don't know if that's still, that, that approach of, of just give it a crack and see what happens is really going to um, really take it in Web 3.0. I, I, I feel like it, it certainly is in 2.0 and everyone was... You know, the community was really excited. It was about seeing people try stuff. If someone failed, they were excused. They got the pass, and the way they went and did something else. And well, I think it's also it was new, right? Uh, and yeah. so we, 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 it was shiny and bright. We didn't really understand it. Now we get it. Now we get how important our digital kind of footprint is, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm much more conscious. But you know, when I first got onto social media. I was very early adopter, mid two thousands, and um, you know, I would put all sorts of stupid stuff that if, if it ever found it again i just shake my head in shame and and i can yeah. only imagine like i was already an adult at that stage right and imagine <laughs> yeah. growing up like i look at my son who's uh who's 15 and he doesn't understand a world that doesn't have that um that accountability so i think people get that you know as we move into web 3 you, you know you're no longer in a position where you can go, here's what I had for dinner and see how much interest it got and then decide whether yeah. we should post more food posts or whether you should yeah. post something else, right? I think we've kind of outgrown that. Um, yeah, and I think also what we are starting to see a little bit is people who take the same approach in a lot of different areas to Web2, web, web uh, uh, when they take that same approach and Web3, they, they're, they're getting, not shamed, but they're getting pulled up on it pretty bloody quickly. Pretty quick. you know, yeah. The same approach isn't working in, in this new world. So, you know, the likes of, Influencers bumping up, bumping up prices of assets by the virtue of being behind certain things. I think everyone's starting to go, well, hold on, you know, haven't we made that mistake in the past and we've done, we're through this? So, um, so that, that's my probably, and my, my greatest question is, are we going to have the same sort of ability to make mistakes in that area? Um, and, and I think kind of the answer might be maybe not. Mm. Yeah, well, certainly um, you're a lot more accountable now. Um, we're a lot smarter about how connected we all are. So, yeah, in a way, it's almost like we're evolving a digital self, you know, like a lot of people who, people like me already, I definitely think I have a digital self. I think I'm, you know, different 
kind of person. I, I filter different things and I, I make conscious decisions about what goes out on my feed. Although people who follow me are probably laughing their fucking heads off. Right? Like, Trevor, you're an idiot. You post all sorts of stupid shit. And, uh, you think about this stuff and you still post that, then there's something seriously wrong. Yeah. Um, but as a business or a brand, I mean, I, I don't really care at the end of the day because I guess I, I, showing my age, can very well remember a time before social media or even before the internet was a thing. And so I guess I carry that sense of, you know, fuck it. It's, it's, it's just a fuck up. You know, we all fuck up. We all yeah. kind of have that, that part of us. And anybody who denies that is, is probably not really being authentic. But when you're a brand, it's very different because you've got yeah. to cultivate an identity, right? You've got to, you've got to curate a digital kind of identity as well as a physical one. Uh, and that, that's now a challenge that doubles almost the, the job of a branding person yeah i mean even when you do things wrong it's supposed to be wrong on brand you know there's still a, a guiding <laughs> principle that is you need to deliver a brand if you're gonna so, fuck it up fuck it up on brand at least mate you know <laughs> i'm spending money on this at least make sure that it's on brand and you use the right fucking font yeah. um <laughs> but, but that's it and so then you've got these a series of brand principles and how do you apply them into that new new web three environment you know how's, how does that look um when it rolls out i mean yeah, what no, sorry, carry on. All right, and we look back even on this conversation and go, <laughs> you know, we're talking about our footprint, look back in this conversation six months and go, how they not know? But we, yeah, you know, exactly. we don't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's interesting that we're moving so goddamn fast as well, right? Like it's we've reached this sort of point of exponential growth and can't slow it down. You can't keep across it. You have to specialise. You know, and even when you specialize, you, you, you're sub-specializing on the fly, right? Like we, we've reached this point where it's far surpassing, I guess, or I feel like maybe it's just because I'm a thick as fuck, but uh, it feels like it's far surpassing my brain's ability to keep on top of what I used to keep on top of in terms of my responsibilities as a marketer. You know, yeah. there was a time when you could do all of the things that you're supposed to do. And now it's just, you know, it, it's just a ridiculous ask. Yeah, look, I, I think one of the biggest challenges I find sort of keeping on top of it is figuring out um, who, who to listen to in, in, in the new world um, and, and who's who's delivering that, that voice of reason or that educated enough voice so they end up on rabbit holes down weird, um, weird thoughts on these particular topics, you know. Um, uh, you know, even looking at people who are, who are jump on their social all the time, guys like Pat McPhee, who you had on the show, um, you know, even his, the conversations he's having now revolve past my ability to keep up with that. Um, so who, who is going to help me get into that next space? And I think um, when when we have, well, in New Zealand industry, we have a lot of tech marketing conversations coming up. So, you know, that's, that's certainly part of it. And, you know, hearing a lot of different opinions coming in and piecing them all together. But um, the, the difficulty I have is who is that consistent voice and where are those consistent voices guiding the way and giving us foresight to, to what's happening. Given that it's moving so quickly, where's that starting point for me to make sure I'm on that train to, to some extent? And that's the, the difficulty I have at the moment is, is just keeping up with that, with that particular piece. Um, because all the other parts of marketing are changing as well. Mm. Um, there's, there's, there's ample ways to keep in, in touch and, and keep up to date and sort of keep ahead of that. Um, but it's those, those new environments that are, that are coming in that is even creating a greater challenge to keep up with as well. So... Let's let's uh, blow this out. You know what it looks like when we do have far more uh, available options to connect and communicate. Do you think it's going to be a case of first of all, let's take our business hats off and stop thinking about it, just be a human for a moment? Do you think we'll naturally end up having to pick specific and very um, uh, a very small number of specific channels with which we consume all of this shit that, that, that's coming at us and where we interact with it and, and, and behave it. So the idea of having spaces that I, I curate a space and everything outside of that space, I don't really fucking care about because yeah. there's just too much for my brain to even possibly contemplate trying to keep up with that. Do you think uh, we're already starting to see that on existing channels with the income incoming you know, the TikToks of the world that are coming in and very quickly taking up a, a, the attention economy and all of these sorts of changes that, that are happening. Uh, uh, that's my theory is that we end up, you know, you build this sort of space and that, that that lends itself to the metaverse very well. So I sort of plug all the things that I care about into my space yeah. and fuck everything else because I don't want my just, brain. Just... We kind of are, you know, right? We're kind of at that point now where 
if you're not of the of a TikTok generation or you, you're not a marketer or you, you decide not to look at TikTok, you've kind of made an intentional decision to go, here's something new in the space. I'm just I'm not, not gonna plug that into my into my existing sensitive environment, right? <laughs> I'm not gonna bother, it's just too much. But at the same time, you know, it, it, it's it wasn't that long ago really that everyone would marvel at the idea of us dual screening while watching TV. We thought it was, you know, pretty remarkable fifteen years ago that it would even happen. Mm-hmm. And here we are. Like I, I intentionally choose TV shows at night sometimes that allow me to watch my phone at the same time, you know. There's there's shows, there's shows I choose. So I think people are bringing that stuff in. I think one of the bigger questions is how do we how do we add to that? You know, where where, where do we find room for those additional stuff? And with the attention the Teaching capacity we've currently got, what what goes in that in that in that world? You know, what do we what do we then get rid of? We all thought, remember, you remember this. Hopefully, you're old enough. Um, be surprised, mate. There's plenty of grey in this bit if you look closely. Um, <laughs> where we thought that you know, the, the television was going to be a thing of the past one day, we all talked about that. It was, it was so clear it would be. It's indefinite that television would be a thing of the past, but it just yeah. hasn't played out like that for a lot of reasons. I think you know, obviously, the big one is the social aspect of a family or a a group of flatmates getting together and sitting around one particular device, there's something communal about that, even if we are watching TV. Um, we are still doing something together, and people inherently want to spend time with other people mm-hmm. most of the time, sometimes. <laughs> but I think that's I think that's also like you know, to say that we'll get rid of devices or get get rid of some of those things that come into our channel currently, uh, may not play out like that. We, we might find ways of adding more and more to that to that um that sphere if you like we talked about. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a pretty crazy um, time to be alive, right? You know, seeing it starting to—I don't know how into it you are. I, I, I'm I'm reasonably into it, but this this moment of singularity, you know, where the machines become as smart as us, and and, and then we move into the AI kind of age. Yeah. Uh, I think we're, you know, we're we're well and truly on that very very rapid um, ascending part of that exponential curve, right? And. Uh, it's a pretty crazy time to, yeah. <laughs> to to be trying to manage normal real world uh you know buying a car and uh you know buying a house and buying groceries and stuff in at the same time as the way you do that is just being shifted around in front of you and everybody's trying to juggle all of this madness and try and make sense of it and figure out what works and what doesn't throw a metaverse into that where it's decentralized and suddenly yeah. you've got to now take far more responsibility for your presence on there and actually curate and build yourself be actively involved i think in, in building that digital self and so brands and businesses have to start to think about well how do we create these experiences that these things we've been talking about in in this new space like where yeah. anything's possible um I've, I've been very close to it really into it that's what we you know i talk to guys like pat mcphee about all the time shout out to pat um, is this NFT space and uh, and the impact that it's that it's having uh, across kind of everything uh, and and there's nothing that's going to be left out of it. So businesses really need to be thinking, well, well what is uh, my play in this space? And you, you know, like you said, it's got to come fast, right? It's got to come soon. Yeah. The big brands are going to do it. The smaller brands are going to have to follow suit, and uh, it's going to be uh, really interesting how how the growth of this and all plays out and how different people look at the utility that this thing gives us now that we can kind of have digital automated one-to-one conversations. And I can understand exactly who you are because of what I know about you, uh, not just fit you into an audience, but actually know you. Um, yeah, yeah. It's very strange. It's, it, think, it's and really with, with that in mind, there's a huge, huge opportunity for luxury brands, right? So luxury mm-hmm. brands, by virtue of being luxury, they have a smaller customer base. They should be able to work this stuff out. We we should be able to work this stuff out. Yeah, to have those truly okay. or far more one to one conversations. You know, we said that with with two point that there's going to be this opportunity of these one to one, but it's it's still one to many and many many back to one again to a large extent. I think for us as marketers, um, the, the job is to stay. And I, you know, I really sort of con- contradict myself a little bit, but to stay to stay up to date as much as possible, and or or. Prevent yourself from being afraid of of this space, um, and, and as a result, you know, get get involved as much as you possibly can. Um, just like we went to two point oh, we, we had the same. Yeah, you, you, you get yeah, involved. Exactly. Yeah, um, you, you, you make create sure an you're... account and get in there and sniff around and have a look at it and 
Yeah. Be careful think... you don't blow your cash because it's the fucking Wild West. Yeah. <laughs> no, one, yeah. no one's but, policing anything there. Yeah. But to be fair, <laughs> I mean, we've seen it come and go as well in other, other surges of, of technology, right? We've seen things come and go in terms of the Wild West. So, and, and you can still understand a little bit better why dipping your toe in the water. I think um, the, the trap the markets will fall into, especially ones like me as we get older, we, 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 we fear these new environments so we just stay out of them because we know we can stick into anything is so much easier. Someone once said to me, you know, before you're 30, everything new is exciting and awesome. Once you're, after you turn 30, everything new is terrible and frightening. Um, so it's, it's about delaying it as much as possible. Um, actually, I barely remember being 30 now, um, but it's about delaying that as much as possible. And when, when there's new technologies emerge, still seeing the opportunity in them um, and, and to see them for opportunities is to, to, to remain excited about them and not, not terrified of them, I think. Yeah, totally. And and the opportunities are going to present themselves, right? There's There's big companies that have got a lot to gain from creating the spaces in which small businesses will will engage in the metaverse and do all of those things. So they're, they're, I think you're right. I think uh, you don't have to race in, but I think you do have to be paying attention and, and being involved right now. And if you're not, yeah. you, you better start getting there because it's moving so fucking quick. Uh, totally. And when we yeah. talk about, you know, brands dialing up the brand element and creating those brand experiences for their customers because their customers have chosen their brand, not because they've chosen the product necessarily or they've, they've chosen Land Rover and not transport, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's us finding those brand experiences and in this new environment, there's going to be more opportunities to deliver a brand experience. It won't be the same necessarily, um, but it's certainly um, going to give us opportunity to create complementary brand experiences. Um, it won't be the same because it won't, won't be exactly driving a car or, or getting into this, sitting on the leather seats of a, of a brand new Range Rover, um, but there are other complementary services we can add. If you look back over the last two years, wouldn't it have been great to have those complementary services that we could dial up and dial down at the times where we couldn't have those experiential activations going on or to be able to deliver those, those beautiful customer experiences in person? Um, and, and that's probably going to be the, the, what, what drives our desire to, to, to participate in this space. Yeah, yeah. Sounds, sounds uh, like uh, a pretty exciting time. And, and I assume that it'll add a huge amount of value and, and real differentiation across the marquees as well. So you'll, you'll have a better opportunity to re, really even, I think, carve yourself an even better, stronger identity in, in a space because people will almost be kind of plugging you in, I think. You know, they'll go in, in the same way, I guess you follow someone on Instagram and, and, and that ends up becoming a, a fucking torrent that you, you know, you can't control. But yeah. I think as we get a little bit more intimate, um, yeah, I, I really feel like it's an opportunity for, for, for brands of all sizes to start really thinking about what's our identity and then how do we how do we just engage with people that reinforces our why, which comes back to kind of the beginning of the conversation totally. where we started, um, which is why they pay me the big bucks. You see how I, how I, <laughs> oh, how I did that. And, uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's ninja, ninja level uh, <laughs> podcasting. No, but that's, but that's right. Like what, what we're talking about here is, is the, the ability to, to dial up specific brand experiences, for specific brand or set of values that brand demonstrates. Um, and that new environment, that new world allows, gives us the opportunity to do so. There are a lot of brands that are really, really close in terms of um, their identities. Mm-hmm. And that's why you see, that's why you see the likes of someone like Jaguar making a, a big move um, to, have its, uh, to, to, to relook its identity a little bit. Um, and, and what we'll see, uh, I think, is that those new experiences being available through more digital channels, giving us the opportunity to, um, to really separate ourselves and others from others that really separate ourselves and create our own identities and then bring via, via some very specific on-brand experiences. Mm. Um, and starting in, in, a, in a specific space, so just again, coming back to that uh, idea, which I think is is really important for, for a lot of small and growing businesses, This and this is the third time, so it's obviously the, my, my favourite part of the conversation is this idea of, being narrow, being niche, and, and and coupling that to your why and then spreading that across your customer journey, right? So if you understand your your, your why, your purpose, your value proposition, or your, your reason for being, and you go deep and and, and establish that somewhere specific, uh, and then make sure that all of your messaging and everything as you as you across your customer journey is aligned with all of that. Totally. I, think. It's, I mean, it's not, it's not forget the, the basics also of making sure there is a market for the niche that you're carving out, right? That you, mm-hmm. You've tested there's a big enough audience to actually um, be commercially viable. 
if you've got it going with a really niche approach to it. I mean, that's there's still some of those fundamentals to make sure that we're adhering to. It's really um, a, a, an amazing time to be able to do that. Like, we can take so much of the guesswork out with data, right? How much testing would you be doing of things like? Let's let's take something simple like a campaign or, or a promotional campaign for for a particular brand or model. Yeah. How much work are you uh, are you putting into that um, that that pre part of the, the conversation and getting that that journey right? Yeah, I mean, I mean a fair bit. I think what we're more so than sort of testing something before you're rolling out, you are integrating a lot more lessons from or a lot more data from your past campaign activations. When you do something a lot more significant, a lot more different, there's a, there's a, a few leaps of faith. Um, we're we're not, not, a, not a large amount of, not a huge leap of faith every time, but the, the more different you go, the more new territory it is, and therefore the more unproven it is, right? So it's a little bit more tricky. Um, but generally speaking, we're rolling out campaigns, especially after being in the seat for sort of four and a half years. You kind of know from the lessons you've learned in the past campaigns what is going to work in different environments and what isn't. Okay. I think, um, sorry. Yep. Yeah. So, um, but are you starting to uh, bring testing in at the at the at the start of a campaign, or is it really just a we understand from pre from you know run the campaign, analyze the data, find the the opportunities for the next campaign, roll that in? Um, has that process started to take on a shape that's you know let's run three value props for this particular campaign against each other and pick the one that resonates best before we start building out marketing collateral and do you know what I mean like the ability yeah, to kind of I mean, yeah. pull a bit of data out and go what's the sort of data saying to us that we should be well I, th- I think I think we're, 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 it's probably more more accurate that we're putting a lot more into the front end of the just the, the path we're going down first. Um, more so than testing as we're going into market. I think we are finding that um, there's enough data before we before we go on that journey or before we launch that campaign to indicate which way we should be going. Um, we do we do pay attention, obviously, when things go live, how well they're performing after the first couple of weeks. You know, yep. Even on a three-month campaign, you're paying pretty close attention. Um, and that, and those so what does that look like? Talk me through that when you say you're paying close attention, like, you know, Daily, once a week. What's what's close attention, and what are you looking for? This is, I think, it's hugely important. Yeah. So, um, I mean, a good example is PR activity. When we go, when we go to market with a particular PR campaign, um, if it's supported or if not supported by by paid media, uh, we get a pretty good indication from early uptake whether or not we're on the right path based on how we how we're approaching media. Um, we get a lot of guidance, obviously, from agencies and the like. Um, but we get a, a pretty good guidance, pretty good idea early on how well it's going to take. I think we also go into a lot of different campaigns like, you know, like PR uh, and we we have a bit of a backup option of um, paid media partnerships to, to get to a certain level. So, for example, if you go out with a PR activation and you're, and you're, you're, you're tanking in terms of how much um, uptake or how much media is, is picking it up, um, then you start going, okay, let's dial down the efforts there and dial up the paid media, ship, media partnership elements and, and push it that hard. Mm-hmm. And if, if the reverse is true, then you're you're looking for what kind of uptake you're getting and whether or not you can actually dial down the paid media elements. Mm-hmm. We've done that even as recently as the last couple of months. We've, we've had some really great successes with, with uh, unpaid media or earned media. Mm-hmm. Um, unpaid's not the right word, <laughs> earned media. Yeah, um, and then and then we know dial down or, or pull ourselves out of the paid media, but at the end because the campaigns achieve what it need to achieve. So you're looking at overall cost per acquisition, really, is what you're talking about, like that balance between paid and earned, and saying, yeah. right, you know, let's try and bring that number down as low as we can by finding the right mix. Or yeah, yeah, you might have a total goal of I don't know whether it's depending on the campaign, whether it's media impressions or total media eyeballs at all, or unpaid media impressions or whatever. And as soon as you start hitting those numbers, you can start pulling out the back end of that. Going, okay, well, we don't need to hit those numbers. We've actually got our budget allocated for pushing that through and being over the line into the total KPI to achieve. And if we yeah. are overachieving on that, we can make a call whether or not we pull out of the paid elements or not. And if it is. If it is performing really well and we get to get with our stakeholders and say we can make this bigger by just finishing the budget, fine. But if we are achieving what we set out to achieve in the first instance, then we can start tripping away and going, we don't need to pop that Park up. that for later, yeah. But it's all about knowing up front, you know, saying, well, data told us that it's likely that we'll be able to achieve all these things with this approach. And if we overachieve, we can, we can either pull back or really push on through. So understanding what the key metrics are that you need to, 
need to be watching and what changes in those metrics mean for yeah. your campaign performance, right? So it's, it, I, th- I think that's where uh, I see a lot of businesses fall over is either they're, they're watching vanity or meaningless metrics and not really sure why, like reach and stuff, like why is that important to you? And uh, not making decisions based on that in the early stages to go, okay, I understand what the shift in that key metric is, what it means, and then, as you say, dial up, dial down, do... Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it starts with objectives too, right? Like if you're, if you're, if you're looking for a campaign to, to achieve something, of an overall objective to achieve something, and individual parts of that are overachieving or underachieving, it's making sure that you're still focusing on the end result here, making sure that we're absolutely um, dedicated to finishing finishing the job. When things go right or wrong within that, you just got you're still at that core objective you're trying to achieve. I think one of the biggest disciplines, though, that marketers need to have to from past campaigns to bring them into the beginning of the camp- campaign and say, okay, what are the lessons from from last um, last campaign's results that we can put in the, in the front end of this one when we're building it. So there's two bits of discipline to have there. One, finish your campaign and analyze it properly because that happens almost. Understand what success should have been and and, and how close you got totally, to it. Totally. Or, I don't think that happens enough. You know, you'd be surprised by how many large organizations at the back end of a campaign go, well, it's done, we're on to the next one anyway, off we go. So that's that one discipline is to finish that campaign, the last campaign, get the, get the findings from that and put those insights in the front end of your next one. But the other part of that discipline is actually putting those insights into the front end and say, hey, guys, remember last time, this, this, and this worked, this is what we didn't work, this, this is what didn't work. How how relevant are these insights going into a next campaign? Did they actually make sense to the context of what we're trying to do or is it so different um, that they're just just bits of information, but also going to go back three or four campaigns and going, what do we know so far and where is our, where, where are our lessons being learned? Yeah, that's so important. And, and you're right. I, I think you run a campaign, uh, once it's on, it, it almost falls into the back of your mind or almost disappears when you're in the day-to-day and you sort of, you know, are we getting customers from it? And, it, it, it you know, and I think as most small businesses are like, you know, did we get many customers from that campaign? No, well, you know, but they don't take the time to go, well, why? What, what? What part of it wasn't working and how do we not do that again next time? And, and like yeah. you say, have those two steps in play as part of the flow and not just go, well, that didn't work. Let's try this. Um, and and I'm I'm very bullish um, being uh, head of marketing for Otterfish. I'm very bullish on the idea of testing. So we've built this tool that enables people to go, okay, I'll try this audience segment um, against this audience segment or I'll right. try this uh, creative image against this creative image or this ad copy against this ad copy and you can do four or five in a, in a quick easy knock them out set, set it live and then the tool you know we sort of say run it for 24 48 hours it's 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 a dark post so nobody sees it in your feed or anything like that just a few people out in the world wide web see it and you get some real data quickly that says this is better with this audience you know and you go boom 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 and you can typically amplify and and cut shortcut that 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 sort of, I guess, time to figure that out, make those decisions much much quicker, yeah. uh, rather than running for a month and going, did it work? You know, you can run it for a couple of days and go, well, if we spend our money there, so it's just exactly what you're talking about. You know, getting the data, understanding what the the, the metrics are that are important to um to move, and then that's that's magic though, right? Like how for small businesses to have a tool like that, not to. Turn this into a um, to an ad, but, ad, ad tutorial, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but seriously, I mean, we, we I'm in a luxury position where we've got an agency called Together, who fantastically, um, I mean, they're, they're, they blow my mind on a, on a weekly basis. They're mm-hmm. light years ahead of everything I've seen in the past uh, from a big agency that serves big brands. Um, we were lucky enough that testing sort of goes on in the background through programmatic and other activities they're doing, but no, you know, smaller brands, even medium-sized brands, don't have access to those kinds of agency support. Mm-hmm. So to be able to do that in a, in a really um, time-efficient and cost-effective manner, that what you're describing there, is something that you don't you just don't see around the traps. So for small or medium-sized brands that do that and to test and learn for different audience sizes, for for different executions different executions to different audience sizes and, and matrix of those, it is, it is phenomenally useful and it, it just provides access that, that brands ordinarily wouldn't have. So mm-hmm. again, sort of in the luxury position when we're doing those those executions at the very technical level, kind of a little bit removed from some of those conversations, but we see them play out on a sort of a monthly reporting basis of you know, what was tested, what was learned, what are we doing next time, even for our you know, programmatic always on or digital always on, as you call it. 
uh, marketing activities. Um, mm -hmm. We see that on a monthly basis um, because we have those programs in place. But uh, for for small and medium enterprise, where they have you know have to know the, the efficiency of their spend on a, a daily or weekly basis is so so useful. Yeah, yeah. Um, so far, it's been it's been really well received. It's hard to kind of get people's head around the idea of testing and why that's important. Most people are sort of still trying to figure out how do I run ads on fucking Facebook and yeah. how do I make those ads make me money. Uh, and the answer is testing. So it's there's yeah. this game of um, like, like like a bit of an education thing. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think Otterfish aside, um, yes, it's a great tool and 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 it's a lot of um, satisfaction. I think it's going to do a lot of businesses a lot of good. But this concept of using data to make decisions and not just rolling it out and time after time and using old school thinking like, oh, well, obviously that message wasn't correct. Let's try a different message to that audience yeah, and see yeah, how we yeah. go. And you can make those decisions in 24 hours with enough data to um, to be meaningful and go, well, no, that's the answer. Look what the data is showing us. So I think that, right. that yeah. is an area for a small business that really needs to kind of scale up. Um, my well, last I'm, thing. I'm a massive believer that, that that marketing is more science than it is art, and people shoot me for that. Or people mm. are very disappointed to hear that I'm they're not creative at the level they're Yeah, um, yeah well, me, I'm the same. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I mean, I kind of know my way around some basic stuff. Um, I can do bits and pieces, and because of legacy, like I used to do it in old jobs and, and have a bit of skill still on the, in those things. But yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. I've noticed that my role and my focus over the last say four or five years of my career has been specifically learning how to uh, target, analyze, mine, find opportunity, reduce um, data points on certain metrics. Uh, you know, that, that, that's marketing now. It's, uh, it's understanding all of that and, and, and understanding what that data means. That data means that this particular person in this particular location that has these particular interests has a very high affinity to your product. And you can find lots and lots and lots of them really, really easily if you know what you look to look for in the first place so uh yeah it's a it's it's, it's a massive opportunity i think that's that, that unfortunately unless you've got range rover land rover um budgets to, to run the tech and the, and the agencies and stuff it often gets overlooked yeah i think again it's it's down to you know make make marketing the science that it really is needs to be you know that that'll, that'll put you in the right stead for for, for anything you're doing, for, for you know, learning how to do the job better, but also communicating with your stakeholders internally what's working, what's not, how it's gone. Like marketing is, is and again, I think it's it's far more useful as a science than it is a, as, as an art. Um, you know, there's people out to outsource art to. It's easy to find them. Um, yeah, well, that's becoming its own thing, like creative, or, yeah. you know, the idea of having creatives and that, that, that creative journey is, is, is very much now uh, feeds into that greater marketing mix and greater marketing engine so yeah well, if we're talking about digitizing the whole customer journey that's that sounds like a lot more like science to me yep there'd be a bit of art in there too probably you could argue that but the science well there's art in science right work. you know like <laughs> yeah. not everything that science is not is not able to be used to express yourself or to express yeah. things that you want um so yeah there's art in it I, i'd like to think so i like to think that uh, certainly, when it goes right, I like to think that I'm an artist. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it doesn't always go right, but you know, when it does, it's definitely more art than science. Um, yeah. uh, awesome, mate. Look, I, I can see that we're we're probably already over time. So, uh, look, I'll, I'll wrap it up. I think we could go on and on. I really wanted to also get into that the, the branded content thing. That seems to be a lot of the conversation at the moment, and you guys uh, would absolutely have. Uh, a lot of experience in that space already um, as a as a luxury brand. Are you what What's the uh, here? I'm wrapping it up and now diving back in again. That's <laughs> like like a, another ninja podcasting. You know, you, you, you're catching it live. How important is that? Has it been amplified? Are you dropping down from celebrities into those sort of micro influencers? What's the branded content conversation in uh, in, yeah. in your space? We're we're a little bit luckier that well. The kind of clientele we have as customers kind of influence in their own right. Um, so sort of the influencers thing has never really been on our radar too heavily. We've had people who, who have purchased our cars who want to do business with us and by virtue of us promoting their business and who they are, it's kind of been a natural uh, natural way to sort of um, Kim, Kim Kardashian getting out, of a, getting out of a Range Rover helps everybody, right? Yeah, it's not as helpful when... Um, the royals <laughs> would, would be a funerals, yeah. Um, but <laughs> but um, it is certainly helpful. Like, people like you know, local local level, um, Otis Rizal being a Jaguar driver has been really useful for us because he's just a good human and 
incredibly talented and and by virtue of him you know being a customer of ours we've been a customer of his for a number of things so it's worked pretty well there as well but we haven't really had a an influencer a specific influencer approach mm-hmm. uh, we've had media shut partnerships that have worked well um with the likes of nzme to do certain things but really it hasn't been so much of a focus in the past yeah right interesting because uh it's certainly something that's on our radar. Uh, seems to be a lot of conversation at the platform level about this, right? And I think it's the, 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 the how do we monetize this whole influencer economy and uh, and get our share? But um, it, I'm just it's it's interesting to me because I feel like we're going to start seeing this um, already happening, but at much bigger scale. This uh, transition into a creator the creator economy, right? Where a lot of our messaging, marketing, community conversations, brand presence is all being leveraged across uh, these micro influences and, and these branded content pieces rather than direct sort of ads that interrupt it. And, and yeah. 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 And again, like, we're, like I'm really lucky situation having for us sort of four, four and a half, five years where we haven't really need to think too hard about that. We've kind of dialed up um, our association with certain things um, and back to full circle. Um, mm-hmm. Ricky, uh, Ricky D at Superette, um, being a customer of ours, we've, you know, had conversations commercially with her about promoting our vehicles, which has done that for us, but she's also a driver anyway, so it's kind of just a perfect easy, relationship. Easy. Yeah. yeah. And so and so we haven't had the, had the, the need to look that far, but I think that, that in itself, the decision to go in a more authentic path is kind of a, a, a influencer marketing decision anyway, right? Um, yeah. How we've done it. So I think... If there is a way to do it still, it has to be genuine and just have to be keep ahead of where it could potentially go as well, because there is there's change change happening there already. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a kind of a, a really rapidly exploding space that I think has a lot of opportunity for people, but uh it's still very early, so tread lightly maybe. Um yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, look, I will wrap it up this time, Luke. I know you're. I know you've got to get off to your next thing. Uh, I've got a meeting that I'm already late for, and they'll know why, so that's okay. Uh, but look, mate, it's been awesome fun uh, having a chat to you today, getting to know you a bit better, and I hope we can do this again sometime soon. Yeah, mate. Th- thanks, Adam. Good to see you again, and uh, great to have a have a, a lengthy chat this time. Really yeah, enjoyed. yeah. Get into it. It's been good. Thanks, Luke, and uh, thank you everybody for listening. Don't forget to subscribe if you like what you're hearing, and we will see you next week. Ciao. Yes.